I'm going to be bringing a, trying to bring a message today with God's help from uh, the book of Revelation. It might seem sort of an unusual message for a senior adult conference or revival effort, but the truth is I'm probably older than most of you here today. So I thought it was something that I needed and always need. And I said, well, if it's good enough for me, I guess they need it too. <laughs> if you have your copy of the scripture, I invite you to open that, please. Open the scripture to Revelation chapter three, and I'll begin reading with the verse 14. You probably recognize that this is uh, the letter that is addressed to the church at Laodicea. And I would like to say in the very beginning that I, I do not believe that our church here is like the church at Laodicea. I, I think I know our pastor well enough to know that his heart is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and try to honor him and do all that he knows to do that he wants him to do. I took note of his prayer yesterday, and I'm not saying this because he's my son, but I remember in the prayer yesterday, he said, Lord, we want to magnify you. We want to make much of you and little of ourselves. And that's always good, isn't it? Because that's what we're here for, is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and point people to him. But uh, we're going to see in this scripture today how easily it is for people living in a society such as you and I am living in today to get our minds and hearts off of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that we allow uh, something else to become more important to us and take the place that the Lord desires and deserves in our hearts and our lives. And Brother Jim said something about that this morning in his message as he urged us and exalted, uh, rather exhorted us that we would always give our best to the Lord and keep him first in our hearts and lives. So will you listen prayerfully as I read, uh, beginning in the 14th verse of the third chapter of the book of Revelation. The scripture says to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, they men, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and in need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise of you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame, sat down with the Father my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. I want to go to the Lord 
in prayer, not because we're needing something to fill up the time, but out of a deep sense of need of God's help and blessing as we try to share his word. Pray with us. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, it is with thanksgiving we come to you in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we have so much to be grateful for, but we know the greatest of your gifts is your dear son that you gave that we might have that unspeakable, undescribable salvation in him, and we thank you for it. I thank you for this group that's come today with a desire in their heart to draw closer to thee, to be revived and stirred in our hearts to serve you better. I thank you, dear Father, for those that have already preached and thank you for the good singing that David and Rodney are doing and ask, oh God, that you'll continue to bless us this hour as we try to see exactly what this scripture says today and make the application to our hearts. Father, I pray today that as the word of God is preached and the spirit of God works in our hearts, Lord, you'd reveal our true spiritual condition before us. And Lord, when it comes time to uh, make decisions at the end of the service, I pray that you'll lead us and guide us and help us all to do exactly what you need, what you would have us to do. And we'll be so careful to give you thanksgiving for all that's accomplished. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To me, this is one of the saddest pictures in all of Scripture. And I say that because we find the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that loved the church, the one that purchased the church with his own blood, the one that should, is to be head of the church, the one is to be, have preeminence in all things uh, outside of the church, having been ousted by the the people of the church knocking on the door, seeking entrance back in to have fellowship uh, with his people. And as I said before that, uh, even though that I don't believe that our church could really be classed in this category that the church at Laodicea has, uh, I hope today that through, if we don't see anything else in this message today, that we all will see how important it is for us to maintain a vital, uh, ongoing, uh, personal union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that uh, not because I, I believe that we're in danger of losing our salvation, but I'm saying that to uh, emphasize how important and how dependent we are on the Lord Jesus Christ that lives within us to do what he wants to do in our lives. Some of you may remember that I was asked to preach here at this church on Sunday morning on October the 2nd, two years ago. And I'll not tell you what the occasion was unless you ask me. Uh, but those that were here may remember that I tried to preach and I chose as my text the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. You remember in that chapter, uh, we have the Lord Jesus Christ addressing those 11. And I say 11 because Judas had already walked out. And uh, actually it was, it was the night of his arrest. And he spoke to them concerning uh, some things and he told them 
On that particular chapter in those verses, he talked about the need of his people abiding in him. And if you'll study that, dear friends, you'll find in about the first nine or 10 verses of that 15th chapter of John that the Lord used that uh, verb to abide in some form or fashion some eight or nine times, emphasizing the importance it was for a person that intended to serve the Lord and accomplish anything for him to abide in him. Dr. A.T. Robertson, I suppose, was the foremost Greek scholar that ever lived among Southern Baptists. He taught uh, Greek, I believe, at Southern Seminary in Louisville for a number of years, and that was uh, many years ago. But uh, in his Greek, in his uh, word pictures of the New Testament, he said of those verses that I just referred to, John chapter 15, where he, he said that uh, the only way that a person can remain clean or pruned, and Jesus used that term there, and produce fruit is that they maintain a, a, a vital uh, connection with Christ. And this is something what had happened to the church at Laodicea. They uh, had come to a place that they felt like we can run this show by ourselves. And the Lord who died for the church found himself outside of the church uh, uh, knocking on the heart's door, wanting to come back in and have fellowship with them. And friends, uh, it is my conviction after 57 or eight years as a Christian and almost that long as a preacher, uh, that probably the most important thing we can do as a child of God is maintain a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just uh, saying that we're a Christian or a church member, but I'm talking about a day-by-day -day walk with him where we know he is real. We know we are depending on his power that will do whatever he wants to do through us. And uh, that, did not, that was not happening at the church at Laodicea. And that's the reason the Lord had such stern words of condemnation against him. If you've studied the book of Revelation, you probably know that most of those seven churches that the Lord had something to commend uh, them for. They had some good qualities, even though they had things that need to be corrected. I believe all but one, but uh, that was not so at the church at Laodicea. There wasn't any word of commendation for that church. So we're going to look at that church today, and I've entitled this message today, The Church Without Christ. The Church Without Christ, because that's what had happened. That scripture concerning that church closes with the Lord Jesus Christ, who should is to be the head of the church, was outside of the church and not a part of their plan. So before we really get into the body of the message, I want us to consider several things about uh, Laodicea that will help us understand some of the things that are said in this message this morning. Laodicea was located about 40 miles east of Ephesus and about 10 miles west of Colossae. We know that a New Testament church was there during the first century. 
Uh, if you have your copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Colossians, and we'll see that Paul mentioned that church several times here. The book of Colossians was written uh, about 60 AD. The book of Revelations, uh, most Bible scholars believe about 95 AD. So that's the period of about 35 years that had spanned since Paul said these words and uh, the book of Revelation was written. So in, Reve in the book of Colossians, uh, rather Colossians chapter four, uh, Paul said this, beginning in verse 12. He said, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those, listen to this, those who are at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Now you remember later on Demas had forsaken Paul. He said, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans and you for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received of the Lord that you may fulfill it. Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So we know there was a church going on in 60 AD there at uh, Laodicea. Paul tells us he had sent a letter there. Uh, I suppose that letter was lost. I, I read in, uh, behind some Bible scholars even believe that uh, that was the, church, the letter that was sent to Ephesus, which was a circular letter, and that is the letter he's referring to. And others believe that he wrote an individual letter uh, there to uh, the church at Laodicea, but it has been lost because it's not a part of our New Testament canon of Scripture. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it was a New Testament church there. And Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, was a very wealthy city. We know from history that it was a banking center, and uh, a lot of money was splashing around there. It also was known, uh, it produced a very expensive uh, black wool cloth. One of the uh, great trade routes of Asia went through Laodicea. And this all added to the economy of Laodicea. They were doing well financially. Also, we're told there was a medical school there. And I don't know for sure or not if the medical school was behind that, but we do know that Laodicea was known for a uh, expensive eye salve that was used by people that had an odd eye disease in that part of the world and probably still do today. But uh, nevertheless, it was a very uh, wealthy city. And we see that a lot of that uh, symptom, a lot of the characteristics rather of the culture 
found its way spilled over into the lives of the people of the church. My friends, we always have to be on guard for that, don't we? Because that can happen in any society, any culture. If the church is not careful, it will take on uh, the customs and characteristics of the society in which it finds it in. But if I understand the New Testament correctly, the, the dear Lord wants his people to be separated in the sense that he is the Lord of our life and we live by his standards and not those of the society and culture around us. Now quickly, there are three things this morning that I want us to see about this church of Laodicea. I want us to see the conditions of the church and I want us to see the cause of the conditions and then I want us to see the cure of the cause. So first of all, let us look at the conditions of this church at Laodicea. Jesus, the one that knows all things, the one that's true, the one that's faithful, uh, gives his uh, opinion of this church in verse 15 and following. He said, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So we see, dear friends, that this church at Laodicea had, uh, what is the word? They had went, gone down into a very uh, despicable condition in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> they had lost their vigor. The Lord said, I know your works. He went on to say, you're neither cold nor hot. You're tepid, tepid. And uh, he said, I'm about to spew thee out of my mouth. Now that sounds like very harsh words, doesn't it? But you remember that the Lord said before he closes this address to this church at Laodicea, he said, I love you whom I love, I chasten. So the Lord, I believe, and I know everyone might not see Laodicea, uh, the book of Revelation this way, but I believe that this was a church at one time that was, the Lord was the center of the church, the head of the church. I believe it had saved people in it. Some do not think so, but I believe it was. I believe that what the Lord said verifies that. But the church had gone from a church in Paul's day as one that was preaching the gospel to a time that uh, because of their wealth and affluence, they had gotten their eyes off of Jesus and put it on material things and they were saying in their heart as much, we can carry on this without you, dear Lord. And the Lord was pushed out of the service. Now, I don't believe that they ever called a business meeting and some, someone stood up and said, I make a motion that Jesus no longer has a place in this church. But it came about, dear friends, as 
They trusted more and more in their wealth and in, in their uh, uh, material things and the things that they had really been blessed with materially. It caused them to trust less in the Lord. And they had degenerated, if we could use that term, into a, a situation that the Lord was not pleased with. I read many years ago behind, uh, of some uh, book, I don't remember what commentary it was, but a historian said uh, that tradition was there was a spring outside the city of Laodicea. And around that spring, an oasis had grown up, green grass and green bushes, trees, and said, a traveler in that day, in that first century that was tired and hot and dusty because the way of travel mostly was by foot, said when he would see that oasis up ahead, his heart would rejoice because he thought there was going to be refreshment. He thought there was going to be uh, cool, clear water. But when he got there and partook of that water, it wasn't refreshing, it wasn't cool, it was lukewarm, and he spewed it out of his mouth because he didn't want to swallow it. It was nauseating. And that's the picture, dear friends, that the Lord is saying about this church at Laodicea. And it would be, see, it's impossible for this church at Laodicea, or any church, or let me just bring this down a little closer home and say of any individual, if we do not maintain that personal, that uh, connection in abiding in Christ, and the word abide, of course, means to continue in, that day-by-day -day fellowship, that moment-by-moment -moment surrender to him that he's living his resurrected life through us to empower us to do what he wants us to do. It's impossible for any individual to carry out God's will for their life unless we do that. You know why I know that? The Bible says in that John 14, rather 15, verse 5, he said, except he said, if you do not abide it without me, you can do nothing. He said, just as that, that branch is dependent upon the nourishment and the uh, food that it gets from that vine, he says, unless you abide in me by that daily uh, communion with me and that moment by moment surrender to me, you're not going to bear fruit. But let us look further now as we go on in this message today. We not only have seen the condition they were in, there was no evangelistic zeal, there was no mission, there was no uh, seemingly desire to bring others, help others come into the kingdom of God. But I want us to notice uh, the cause of the condition. What brought all this about? It seemed to be in Paul's day in 60 AD when he wrote that letter to Colossae and mentioned the church at Laodicea. He didn't seem to say anything was abnormal there. And so what brought all of that about? I believe, dear friends, it, it came about because they lost sight of what true wealth was. You see, their eyes were focused upon the material. 
Jesus said, thou sayest, we are rich and increased with goods and need of nothing. And thou dost not know that thou art poor, blind, and naked. Now, I believe actually, this is my conviction, my interpretation, that this church was glorying in their material possessions, in their wealth, in the things that they owned, in the economy, in the uh, material things of life that they had been blessed with. And consequently, when that happened, you see, they lost sight of what was really valuable. And I say that uh, they had lost sight of true wealth because Jesus said to them later, he said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, friends, really true wealth can only be acquired from the Lord. Did you know that? It, that's right. And certainly this one text is not nearly all the Bible says uh, concerning warning God's people not to trust in uncertain riches. Warning people, they better be careful or while you're doing good financially, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. You believe that? Jesus said in Matthew 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 6, in the 20th, what longer, what, verse 20, he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Either you'll love one and hate the other. You got to make a choice, he said. And I'm not condemning having money in your pocket. I'm, that's not at all. I am condemning if we ever get to the place that we trust in that instead of the Lord. In the eighth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, before the people of Israel went over into the promised land, God, uh, through Moses, warned them. He said, be careful. Take heed to yourself that when you go into the promised land and you find all these nice homes already built, you find these fields, you even find gold and silver, you be careful uh, that you don't forget God. Paul, in the first century, warned Timothy, a young preacher. He said, charge these, those in your congregation that are rich in this world. And my friends, I would say to you today, that would include you and me today, every one of us here today. If we have three meals a day and a roof over our head and clothes to wear, we would probably be considered wealthy in that day. And Paul said, charge those that are rich in this world not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us all things to enjoy. Over the years, I've preached on that text several times and I always ask people to un underscore that word uncertain, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. I remember telling the people, a church I pastored, probably maybe the last church I pastored before I moved out here. I said, the Lord willing, I'm going to keep drawing Social Security as long as I give it. I'm going to keep drawing that little Baptist annuity I have as long as they, it holds out. But I said, I want you to know the bottom line is 
I'm trusting on the Lord. I'm trusting in the Lord to meet my needs. We all better be doing that. Because if we don't, we'll take our eyes off of Jesus and we'll get in a very bad way. Because the Bible tells us in that book of First Timothy chapter six, Paul said, some who have made riches their God and pursued after riches, he said, they've pierced themselves with many sorrows and they've gone away from the faith. I say again, dear friends, it takes a very surrendered heart. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of commitment, a lot of the grace of God and the help of God. If the kind of culture we live in today to keep our eyes upon Jesus, as Brother Jim told us about today, and stay true to him. Well, <clears throat> let's look thirdly now at the cure for the cause. We've, we've seen the conditions of the church degenerated into they lost their vigor. Uh, I didn't say it, but they lost their vision as well. They did not, were not able to see themselves as they really were. They were not able to see themselves as Jesus saw them. They also lost their measure. That's a nice little alliteration, isn't it? Vigor, vision, uh, and uh, vesture. They lost their vesture. But I'm thankful today that the Lord has a cure for that. Did I tell you that the reason that I, I, I hold that, uh, I know some say that when, the, when he said that thou sayest thou art rich and in need of nothing, that uh, they're thinking about their spiritual condition. Now, I think they got into that spiritual condition. I mean, first of all, though, they got that way because they, they had their minds upon the material. Because in the second chapter of Revelation, the second in the series of that, uh, that seven churches is the church at Smyrna. And they was a church that's being persecuted and uh, probably lost their jobs because they were Christian and having a hard time financially. And the Lord said to them, he said, I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. But you see, it's just the reverse at Laodicea. He said, uh, uh, you have a lot of this world's goods, but you do not know that you're poor, blind, and naked. So what is the cure for the cause? All right, we find that in our text today. Uh, as he's talking to the church at Laodicea, he said unto them, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, even before that, he said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. The old King James says, and sup with him and he with me. This translation, American Standard, says, I will dine with him and he with me. The picture is that Jesus is outside the, the Christian's heart who has replaced the place that Jesus should be 
with their focus and their eyes and their heart upon material things, glorying in maybe their possessions, trusting fully in them, and Jesus wanting back in his rightful place. And he says, I come, if any man, and of course, ladies at first, the ladies too, if anyone will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and me with him, he with me. We will fellowship together. That's the picture of it. Sitting down at a meal together and fellowshipping, enjoying one another, spending time with one another. Now, this has often been used as an evangelistic invitation and I'm not going to condemn that. I've probably used it too, but actually in the context of the scripture, I believe he is talking to church people. He is talking to people that were really his people because he said, to whom I love, I rebuke. And the good news is he hasn't spewed them out of his mouth yet, but he says, I'm about to. And now he is seeking to come back to his rightful place as Lord of their lives, where they will recognize that they are totally dependent upon him to do anything in the name of the Lord. You know, dear friends, I've shared with you before, I, I've been a Christian about seven, 57 or eight years and been preaching, had the opportunity and the privilege to be a preacher almost that long. And one thing I've found, when we do not give the Lord the place that he wants in our hearts, we're the loser. Did you know that? We're the loser. It makes me think of that scripture over there in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse two. Jeremiah, God's prophet there, what, seven or 800 years probably before Christ. God said to Jeremiah, said rather through Jeremiah to the, his chosen people because they had turned away from God and turned to Baal worship and every other kind of God. And God said, my people have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now you may not be country enough or old enough to know what a cistern is, I do. When I was a boy, that's our source of water in my house where I grew up. Had whale troughs off the, off the eaves of the house that ran to the cistern. And when it rained, we'd catch that water. Our cistern was, I don't know, probably uh, 10 feet across. It was bricked up. I remember it, had, it bricked up around the walls. I don't know, it was probably 15 or 20 feet deep, maybe deeper. But I do remember it would go dry in a year like this, along about August or September. And they tell us there in Palestine, where, where Jeremiah was and where he referred to those cisterns there, uh, they were hewn out of the rock and it would, when it would rain, it would just water be caught in a, in a rock. And, they would uh, plaster those over and in the hot sun, they would crack and lose their water. And God says, when I'm not first place in your life and heart, 
that's what happened. Uh, you've hewed you out, you've turned to other gods that are really no gods and uh, you're going to suffer for it. We're always a loser. And that's the case here in the New Testament situation too. So remember what the Lord said. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. And he with me. I want the Lord to be the Lord of my life, don't you? I want to be totally surrendered to him. I don't want to ever get so interested in anything else that I push him out of my life. I want us to bow our heads this morning. And I want us right now, you just examine your heart as I examine mine. And you know, material things is not the only thing, I should have said that, that can take the Lord's place in our hearts and lives. Do you know why Jesus said as he invited people to come to him and people were considering coming to him. He said, except you hate your father, your mother, your sister, your wife, yea, your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus mean? The same God that, that told us we have a responsibility to honor our parents and love our parents. Now he says, except you hate your mother, your father. I can think back as you can on my dear old parents, sacrificed greatly on my behalf. But yet, the Lord wants the place in my heart even above them. Of course, they died and gone on, but they still have precious memories in my heart. I have precious memories of them. And I tried to honor them when they were living. And my wife here today, uh, she had a good job teaching when we married and she kept on teaching and I finished the seminary. She was making more money than I did. And most of the time through our married life, she probably made more than I did. But she stood by me, with me. But now the Lord says that he's to have a place in my heart even above her. Does the Lord have that place in your heart above things, above anyone else? Is he really first place in your heart today? If he's not, I pray that he will. I pray that you'll just say, Lord, forgive me, Lord, for living life without you. Lord, I remember when I was saved many years ago. But Lord, I know I've let other things come between me and you. I want you to truly be first in my heart and life. Would you do that today? And truly let the Lord rule in your life. Father, I pray that you'll take these simple words today and bring forth whatever fruit you desire. Whether it be some need to be saved, some we all need to be revived. Revive us, dear Father. Have your will and way in our hearts. We'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.